Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Hannah, a professional actress, about being diagnosed with Kawasaki disease as a child, which caused damage to her heart, and how having a cardiac arrest in her teens forced her to change her ambitions. It was really hard. Like, there's, there's no sugarcoating it. It was awful. And, like, you know, at 16, for your life to basically fall apart, I had to start again. But it took me a while to realise that I had to start again, like, fully. And emotionally, I was a bit of a wreck. From the British Harp Foundation, I'm Ruth Huntman. And on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. In this episode, Hannah, now 33, talks to me about her childhood diagnosis, surviving a cardiac arrest just weeks after becoming a student at a prestigious musical theatre college and achieving her dream of a stage career. Hannah, thank you so much for joining me today on Ticker Tapes. Pleasure. Um, Can you just very briefly tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, um, well, my name's Hannah. <laughs> um, I was born in Liverpool, so I'm originally from up north. And yeah, moved to London when I was about 10. So I'm sort of half northern, half southern. <laughs> um, I'm an actor. I work mainly in theatre, but I do all sorts of other bits. I sing as well. And yeah, I was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease when I was four, three, four. Yeah. Wow. So, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else there is about me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. So you, you're a real triple threat then. You sing, you dance and you act. Yeah, <laughs> I think, I, think I, I used to be more of a triple threat. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. So um, you were just saying you were diagnosed with something called Kawasaki disease when you were four. Mm. So can you just explain sort of briefly what that is for, for people who, who are not familiar yeah, so it's um, well, it's a, a virus that generally affects well, disease that affects young children. Um, it's and it's a it causes swelling of the blood vessels. So it's um, it kind of can start off very innocuous. It, it looks like a cold, um, but because it affects the blood vessels, it can eventually get to your heart. So um, yeah, it's. It's it, there's little known about it. It's not as much known about Kawasaki as I'd like there to be, as I think most people would like to be who's been affected by it. Um, but yeah, so it's a, a vascular sort of a, a vessel disease that um, can affect the heart if it's not caught early enough or treated properly. That's a great explanation um, because it is a very complex disease mm. and, and it can also be very difficult to diagnose. Mm, so, incredibly difficult, yeah. Yeah. So can you tell me what happened leading up to your diagnosis? Because it, it, it took a while, I understand, didn't it? Yeah, it took really a really long time. And I I mean, at the time, we're talking, oh God, was it 91, 92? So, uh, you know, it was a, it was a long, long time ago uh, and... It was relatively unknown at the time in the UK. And basically, because it presents itself so vaguely, like uh, it, people would misdiagnosing it. My mum knew something was wrong uh, and that it wasn't just like a flu. But initially when she took me to the doctors, they were just like, she's just got a bad case of flu, go home, you overreactive parent. And <laughs> my mum was like, no, there's something's not right with my child. But basically, it presents itself. You get high. F- we I had a high fever. I was vomiting. I had diarrhea. I just really wasn't well. Quite lethargic. 
And then I got like a rash. So I think initially they were questioning whether it was meningitis, but this was much later. For, for, for months, my mum my was just refused to be taken seriously, basically. It was just, she's got the flu, go home. And it took a really long time and she kept pushing with the GP and unfortunately our GP really wasn't taking it seriously. It, it, it I think it was, well, it was discovered or it was, it's more prevalent in Japan, but um, yeah, it, it, it never, we just, no one, no one knew it in the circles that we were in. So my mum just kept being sent home and I was just getting sicker and sicker and sicker and no one was taking us seriously. In the end, she took me to A&E. Um, and I think, you know, if you've got a, I don't know. I, it's not the natural step to go to A and E when you're when you're ch- when you don't know to do that. Do you know what I mean? You think your GP would help, um, but eventually she ended up having to take me to the A uh, and E, and no, again, no one knew what it was. But they did some tests, and there was one doctor who was like, "I've seen this before. I think it's something called Kawasaki. We need to act fast." And by this point, I was so ill. It, it was I don't know how long, but. It was months to up to a year that I was struggling with it. I, again, I don't know, because I, I was only three. I'm not really sure of yeah. the timeline, but... Uh, of course. It was a really long time. And, and by the time that somebody went, oh, this could be Kawasaki, basically I'd, I, I had an aneurysm and I was really unwell and they had to do an emergency bypass on my heart because uh, I'd, I'd got an aneurysm by that point and... I was really not doing very well. So, yeah. But thank God somebody went, this is Kawasaki. Yeah. And again, it was just one doctor. I'm not even sure who it was. It was a, This was at um, Alder Hay in Liverpool, the children's hospital there. Amazing hospital. But yeah. um, Thank God for him. I mean, it yeah. must have been so incredibly stressful for mm. your parents. Yeah. And it's, it, well, it's just me and my mum. So yeah. my poor mum was doing this all on her own. Yeah. And... Uh, up until then apparently I was incredibly healthy like literally I'd hardly been ill at all so I think also it was a massive shock to the system for her but she I mean thank god for her tenacity do you know what I mean like thank god she pushed and and she was like I don't care if you think I'm a difficult parent like you have to listen to me and she did get there eventually but Oh, I, I would hate to have been in her shoes. It sounded horrendous. Yeah, and it could have been so much worse. I mean, you oh, p- God, possibly yeah. might not have been here if it wasn't for your mum. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, again and again and again in my lifetime. But yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And do you know what? Like, I really, by the time they found it, I really was ill. And it yeah. really was very, very close to me not making it. Um, so, yeah, I was just very fortunate of the timing uh, and unfortunate in a sense but yeah like in terms of being saved god yeah yeah Yeah. and tell me about this heart bypass was it Mm. a triple bypass a quadruple what do you know what it was I believe the first one was was just a a single just just a single bypass um and it wasn't quite maybe it was an emergency but I I think it was like we have to act fast basically so yeah and they did the best they could I mean you 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 know thankfully for you 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 were very very small do you have any recollection of of the time that time and the surgery and of being in hospital you know being made a fuss of do you or is it something you don't really recall I I do remember it actually and weirdly I remember it very fondly Mm. which which is a testament to the nurses to the to my mom to you know my nan and granddad everyone that was around me my mom did an incredible job of sort of making well i mean obviously leading up to the to the op 
I'm not really sure. And I think that's probably because I was very unwell. But I do have a real distinct recollection of waking up after my op. And, and it might have been a few days after my op, but I was on the ward. I had like the tape over my scar. So I had like a white, you know, whatever they're called, padding over the scar. I'd literally just had the op. And I was on a wooden bicycle on the ward having a ball. I was like, look at all these toys I've got to play with. <laughs> and like uh, that for me, that was the that's probably the only real physical memory I have of being in hospital was playing with toys on the ward and it was just the best thing ever and I think after after that it hospital just was actually quite fun my mum always made it really fun like it was always an adventure it was always we're gonna we're going on a day out we'll go get some food if we go to a hospital appointment it'll be like do you know what I mean it was always quite a jolly experience yeah I'd, and it got made a fuss of yeah 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 I'd, I'd, a lot of kids say that actually mm. and again it's testament to your mum so mm. that the fact that you've only got a positive memory I mean mm. do, do you how was your recovery what what were the years like afterwards were you able to do everything that other children of that age could do I think, I mean, the answer is yes, because mm. if I'm honest, I don't remember a recovery period. Mm. And of course, you know, being like three, well, I was four by the time they did the bypass. Obviously, I probably don't remember the day to day and there must have been some bad days. But um, I I bounced back pretty quickly. Like the, the operation was a, was a success and I made a full recovery pretty much, albeit with just a bit of, you know, with some damage to my heart, obviously. But um I, I just, I don't remember it being like, oh, you can't do it. I, I could do everything. I, I could play sports. I could dance. I, I could run around. I used to get maybe a bit tired and I'd have to, you know, have a breather every now and again. But because it was so normalised and, you know, it was always spoken about, it was quite open in my family that I never felt like that excluded me from doing stuff it was just that maybe I had to do some do it a bit differently do you know what I mean yeah so you never felt different or sort of you know different from your peers in that respect no I remember I I remember like I was a bit self-conscious of my scar but you know in 90s Britain and you know in Britain today school uniforms high necked stuff luck you know usefully covered it um and I think when I was very little I think I think I spoke to my mum about this recently and I think my nan and my mum did maybe did used to get clothes that covered my scar initially just so that I never felt like I had to you know have it out because I, I remember one incident where like one kid poked me in the scar I was like what that you know what I mean and I was just like ow and I don't don't do that that's mean you know because kids are inquisitive <laughs> and they'll you know do things like that and, and I remember that sitting with me uncomfortably and being like I don't like that but um but yeah there was a, like we, I just was very open about it do you know what I mean I used to I used to have to like I think I had to take took a tablet at school at lunchtime so like it would be me and the people who had asthma and we'd go to the office and we'd take our tablets. And I was never embarrassed about it. It was kind of like, this is just what I do. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Which was nice and... Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's... what. Why should you be embarrassed? At, exactly. And, and, you know, talking about your scar as well, I mean, that's kind of, you know, it's like a warrior scar, isn't it? You should wear it proudly, which I know you do now. Mm, I do. I mean, it ha- it has been quite the journey. I mean, even bizarrely 
it wasn't really, and this is the truth. And even, oh God, it was so faint. It was, it, it, but it really, it was nothing there. Now I've got more scars. And I'm like, what was I bothering about? It was just a faint line that you couldn't see. <laughs> but um, it was when I got more scars later yeah. on, I suddenly realised how insignificant a tiny little line was. And, you know, being a teenager as well, I was like, dealing with my body changing on a, you know, without any of that. But um, when I got all my new scars later on, then I had another journey with that and I, I, I was self-conscious, but I felt less so about the one that I'd felt self-conscious yeah. about. My, it was really weird. You know, what I mean? like it was, I still covered that scar up until I got other scars. Yeah, no, that's, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I completely understand where mm. you're coming from. I mean, can you remember the first time that you became aware that you sort of had a heart condition I mean did you know did your mum sit you down and sort of explain it to you or did you you know it, it was just commonplace I mean it it was such a part of me mm. like whenever I don't I don't remember that sort of like you have a heart condition you didn't before I don't remember that and I think that's partly because I was so young but also I don't know, like, for example, when I used to have, like, kids, you know, friends over for sleepovers and stuff, I had to take tablets in the morning and in the evening. And my mum would always be like, right, Hannah's going to take her tablets. Let's all watch her. Like, she, it was always like, let's let's just... She sort of made it into a... Everything was fun. My mum was... Um, honest to God, my mum's amazing in that sense. Like, she just... Well, in lots of senses, but <laughs> she made everything... It was never hidden. It was just there. And we kind of drew attention to it in a positive way. Like, we're going to sit down with Hannah while she takes the tablets so that my friends would see what I did every day. And they'd be like, oh, that's cool. What's that? What does that taste like? Do you know what I mean? And then so I'd be taking my medicine going, oh, yeah, this is what I do overnight um, before I brush my teeth. Yeah. And and it was just like, oh, that's just Hannah. That's what she does. And do you know what I mean? Rather than taking me off and going, Hannah's going to take some tablets. Yeah, little I'm, tiny things like that just made it like, well, she's all. This is just her, and so I never felt like, oh, I've got a heart condition. But I think because I was very active and I used to dance, and I think I don't know if I if I do think about it, there were moments when, you know, when I it, we were in the playground or we were playing football or I was dancing and I I I just I, I got too out of breath. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, I, it yeah. was. There were, there were moments like that, but not many, luckily, but there were the odd moment when I'd go, oh, I have to stop or, yeah, maybe I get tired. Or, yeah, yeah. But, mm. so, so after that bypass surgery, you know, f- from what it sounds like, apart from having to take medication, it sounds like you had, you know, a kind of pretty normal childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you love dancing and you did that from a young age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I'm honest, I mean, obviously it probably isn't that normal, but to me, I never felt like I was missing out <laughs> on anything. <laughs> um, I mean, mum had, uh, my mum's a dance teacher and used to be a, a dancer too. And so, you know, she used to teach dance. She had a school when I was very young uh, that we lived above of. And so, you know, it was just, I kind of got into it because it was there and I loved it. And I'd always just muscle in and she used to take me to class in nappies and I'd just end up joining in with all these 15 year olds. And so it, it wasn't like, it was just a part of our lives. And yeah, it was always there and I just loved it. 
And so this this love of dance, I mean, it mm. fostered in you an ambition, didn't it? Did you did, did you want to be on the stage from a young age and and sort of be in musical theater and sing and dance? Well, there's a there's a it's not I don't know if it's a funny story, but there's a story in our family that because my mum had students and it was it was the year I had my bypass, my first one. So I was four and I was just four because I'm an August child. So it was panto season. My mum was taking her kids <laughs> to audition and she couldn't get a babysitter. So she had to take me with her. And we were sat, I remember this, we were sat in the auditorium of, God, was it the Neptune Theatre in Liverpool? It's called something else now, I can't remember. But, um, we were sat in this theatre and her kids were going up like in groups to audition. And out of nowhere, apparently, I just ran on the stage with them and joined in. And my mum was like, no, no, somebody get her. She's not meant to be on there. Get her off the stage. And there was no stopping me. And I ended up getting the job. <laughs> and oh, I was amazing. four. And I'd literally just come out of hospital. Like, I hadn't been out long. And I ended up doing panto that Christmas. I mean, it's nonsense, but it, you know, it, you'd think on paper, well, that was that was your mother pushing you. It was like, no, she was desperately trying to keep me off that stage, <laughs> and oh. there was just nothing you could have done. And then I ended up getting the job. I was just like a babe, like one of the children yeah. dancers, and none of the costumes were big, like small enough for me. They had to take all the costumes in. I was, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. There I, you go. I need to I need to see the photographs, but that's another conversation. <laughs> I can say just, there are photographs. I can tell you that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah. at what age did you sort of decide that you wanted to, you know, go into theatre? Was was it? Were you a teenager when you thought this is for me, or did it come later? No, I mean I don't think it left me after that moment, yeah. age four. But yeah. like, well, basically, I. I, you know, it was clear I started taking it very seriously and I, you know, did sort of professional pantos every Christmas and then I started doing other little bits and then I did, I, I played young Cosette in, in Les Mis in, in, in Liverpool at the Empire and then I ended up, I got a scholarship to go to theatre school in London and by that point I think I was already set on, on it. I just, there was just nothing. It just, you just couldn't stop me. I was just yeah. so determined, um, and that's that's. Uh, so yeah, I ended up moving to London, and 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 just I just kept going. I don't I don't know. It just sort of I always wanted to do it, and because my mum was the way she was, she was very supportive and was able to allow me to do it. You yeah. know, it was just the two of us. There was nothing, nothing stopping you. Nothing stopping me. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, so wonderful, and so. That that's when things started to sort of take a turn for the worse, isn't it? You tell mm. me about. So the school you got into is a very prestigious school, musical theatre. It's Lane Theatre Arts, is that yeah, right? Yeah, well, well, that was that was later. That was right. Yeah, so I I uh, I I went to Sylvia Young Theatre School first for yep. five years, yep. and again had like a. I was really healthy. I had a brilliant five years. It was probably the best five years of my life, great childhood and all that. But um, yeah, and it was all going really well. And then and then when I was 16, college age, I didn't, I didn't want to do my A-levels. I was having too much fun, <laughs> you know, prancing around. And uh, yeah, ended up, and I did love dance. And you can't go to drama school at 18, which, because I kind of always wanted to, to act, but eventually, I think. But um, I don't know, when you're a teenager and 
it's quite fun to to you know to dance and I loved it I yeah ended up getting uh, again I, I got uh, I got into to Lane Theatre Arts yeah I got a scholarship to go there and it was sort of like well I might as well and I loved it but there was a little voice in the back of my head going are you sure like because it's quite a dancey place but again there was sort of no stopping me it was what I wanted and I got signed off by my cardiologist they were like do you know what dancing's making you stronger it's really good yeah, and I thought, well, I'll do this. I'll get these skills. I'll have loads of fun, and then maybe I can go to drama school later, like classical drama school. But um, yeah, and then six months into that course, so I did my first term. I was what it was February of the second term, and one day I was walking to college, and I, 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 my heart just stopped. I had a cardiac arrest on the street. So wow. uh, yeah, out of hospital, cardiac arrest, just literally everything stopped and my world basically fell apart. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously you don't have any correct recollection of, of that itself and, and what happened after you collapsed, but I understand, I know you've told me you were with a friend, which was quite... God, yeah. Very lucky, in fact. It was It was one of those things that, like, it, it, it gives me goose, goosebumps to sort of to say it because there were just so many things that could have gone the wrong way for me. Like yeah. it could have, um, it just, I was so lucky in so many ways. Yeah, I was with my flatmate who, again, I'd only known him for like a week or two because he'd been away doing panto. <laughs> and um, I'd fortunately had a conversation with him a few days earlier about the fact that I had a heart condition. And it was like, ah, oh, you know, we had a, an actual chat but until then he didn't have a clue he was a few paces in front of me and when I when I fell over uh when I collapsed he thought I was messing about and he turned around and was like Hannah get up what are you doing oh stop being an idiot like get up what's wrong with you and then he was like oh god no oh and obviously thank god I told him about my heart condition phoned an ambulance obviously but I fell outside a bus stop and uh he went over to the bus stop and was like, help. Uh, and, and you know, no one could help. I think there was a little old lady there and he was like, please help. And she was like, I don't know what to do. And then basically a bus pulled up and he ran on um, and just went, is there a doctor on the bus? And there was, huh. uh, which I know it's just insane. It's, like, it's amazing. what, what yeah. are the chances? Um, and then so th- I don't, we don't know who that doctor is. Uh, we never found out. And he got off the bus, resuscitated me, and basically just kept my kept the blood moving around my body until the ambulance could get there. And the, between my flatmate Lee, who God I owe everything to, he yeah. is amazing. Um, um, you know, he was only like nineteen as well. You know, so it's just a huge responsibility in the way that he dealt with it. Was oh God, like yeah, he means a lot to me. And um, this you know, mysterious doctor who who saved my life. I, I mean, I so very nearly wasn't here. There so very nearly wasn't uh, yeah. any more to that story. Yeah, yeah. It, it it must be quite difficult to to kind of think about that. But, you know, luckily they were there and, and you're mm. here. And did, so that doctor, did he do CPR, I'm guessing, on you, Hannah? Yes, yeah. I believe that's what he did, yeah. Yeah. And and what was your next sort of recollection? Were you were you airlifted to hospital or 
taken no, by ambulance? I was taken to Epsom. I think mm-hmm. it's called Epsom Hospital. And yeah, I mean, I this is all this is all like me reading it out of a magazine, like yeah. I, or out of a book. I, I wasn't there to be yeah. honest. Yeah, of course. Um, this is yeah, but I was taken to Epsom, and then I arrested again i just kept arresting and i think i i think i arrested five times in total and epsom's not a very big hospital it's not a cardiac specialty or anything so they i think they were determined to try and move me somewhere but they just couldn't because i kept arresting and i think it was i think i was still at epsom when the last arrest i had basically i was down for 45 minutes (gasps) Um, and they worked on me for 45 minutes and they called it. They were like, they literally were like, let's call it, let, you know, time of death. And then bleh, this bit of the story is like, bleh. and then one, one, oh. one of the team basically said, she's 16. Let's just keep going. Let's just try. Woo, again, there's another, another oh, moment. I didn't know that. That's kind of taken me by surprise. Sorry, yeah. No, don't apologise. Yeah. It's a mad bit of the story. And, yeah. and it just, I mean, God, I'm so grateful that they did that. But like, one, yeah. literally they were like, she's 16. We just, let's just keep going. And thank God they did. Because honest, they, honest God, they, they called it. And I, and I thank God I came, came back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then it got, then it got bad. Then I got really sick. I got ARDS, so my body just got worse and worse and worse. And I didn't, I didn't really know what it was. So yeah, that basically, I think it, I don't know the technical term to it, but my body started failing basically. So my Everything lungs was kept, shutting down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think so. My lungs kept collapsing, and I had to have chest strains, and I was on a ventilator, so I wasn't breathing for myself. <sighs> So they induced me and and did all of that stuff and and just yeah my my body just wasn't doing very well and it was I I was deteriorating and deteriorating and apparently I you know the next stages is then your kidneys go and and your your liver and you know all your organs can start doing the same thing so I mean that was a dark dark time um, and again I was out of it for most of it I've got loads of weird hallucinations I had at the time, yeah but, um, I mean your your poor mum I'm getting. <sighs> I mean, I, d- I don't want to kind of upset you and traumatise you all over again, but was do you know, was your mum told you pr- you may not make it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there was a night when my mum, oh, my poor mum, and oh, bless her, she, they were, she was told she's not going to last the night. You need to get the family together. <sighs> so she had to do all of that. And, you know, everyone rallied round. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I was very close to, well, to not making it. And then something happened. Yeah. And I started getting stronger. Yeah. And they they can't tell you what it is. They don't know what happened. No. I, I just got better. I yeah. just started making improvements. I mean, I was very, very close to not making it. And then after that, I was really close to having a, a heart and lung transplant. That's how I was going. I was I was really close to the list. And then something just happened. And and think you just turned a corner and mm. uh, I mean I hate to use the word miracle but <laughs> it it was kind of miraculous your recovery yeah it's there wasn't really any rhyme or reason to it yeah um, yeah and and then it then it was just a long battle of me you know being weaned off the ventilator and 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 physio and I mean I was just in excruciating pain yeah um, and because my condition was so complex 
again, I only found this out recently. Um, I couldn't, I was 16, but just, and I was, you know, I'm, 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 I'm only five foot one. So I'm only little. And I was, you know, you know, very much smaller than I am now as a, like a child sort of frame. And, but I couldn't go on a child, on a children's ward because of my comp, because it was too complex, mm -hmm. but some of the equipment didn't fit me. So like, like I had chest strains and apparently the, they weren't the right size and I was in agony and now I'm like oh that's why I was in so much pain oh. but they they just didn't they just yeah so it was you know it was it was very scary I was a very small little thing in a big big uh adult world then yeah, uh, yeah. I was yeah it was hard but again I was so determined I was just desperate to get better can I ask you Hannah what's mm. the first sort of recollection you have of sort of waking up uh, after the cardiac arrest and and surgery I mean were you were you in an induced coma yeah. or yeah I was in I was induced for a while do you know what one of my first memories is it's really silly my mum's uh one, my mum's friend Joy was I think it was Joy was feeding me porridge and again, this might not have happened this could have been nonsense but I believe this was before they properly um, induced me so I, I didn't have my tracheostomy I hadn't had a tracheostomy then but I was being fed porridge and it was all in a fantasy where I was honestly on so many drugs I I was somewhere else but I um, I was being fed porridge and and, and Joy was going is that all right and I was like yeah and I was just kept saying I'm not meant to be here huh. and she was like what I was like mm -mm, it's, it's 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 all a lie. It's been a mistake. I'm being held on my own, out Aww. of my own, um, against my will. <laughs> and I was basically telling everyone that I'd been captured and that I wasn't meant to be here. And I think that was probably my, one of my earliest not real memories. Yeah. Um, and then I, one of my probably, but it was very funny because everyone was like, okay, just tell her what she wants to hear. Yeah. And I kept telling people, yeah, yeah, I'm getting picked up by helicopter any minute now. And they were like, okay, Hannah. But um, it's funny now, but yeah. obviously not. Well, it was kind of funny at the time, yeah. which I'm pleased about. That's just my family for you. But <laughs> <laughs> you've got to laugh when you're crying. Uh, and, uh, oh, God, I mean, that's just the mild, that's just the mild stuff. There was much worse stuff that came out of my life in hospital. <laughs> um, but no, I think... I do actually remember sort of reality hitting and I remember one day my I, th I remember everyone being really really excited to see me and I was really confused I was like why is everybody being weird and I couldn't talk or move so I was like everyone's annoying me and I don't know why they're being so happy and I think it might have been the first day I'd come round and bless them all you know whoever was there my mum used to just like go look and someone sent you this card and this card and and which was so lovely like all the cards I'd been sent my mum would show me but I just remember lying there going why is everybody being weird huh. I don't understand why everyone's so enthusiastic to show me bits of paper like I was so confused yeah and like yeah. people trying to show me magazines like yeah, I can't read that. It's, I, I'm too... T go away. <laughs> like, I was just quite grumpy. Well, but, when did you realise what had kind of happened to you? How was it explained to you? And, um, and what was that I, like to sort of process? It Again, I can't quite remember exactly that moment. Mm. I can remember a sort of feeling. It was... Uh, this, is a, this is quite bleak. Can I go bleak? Can I be bleak? <laughs> yeah, go uh, bleak. Yeah. Are you sure? I was sort of lying there and I was in a lot of pain. And I think all the really fun 
hallucinogenic drugs had worn off um and i was i remember lying in that bed staring at the clock and it was like three in the morning and i couldn't sleep because i was in too much pain and i couldn't move and i was just crying i was Mm. just hysterical and no one was there because it was in the middle of the night and i was just like i think it hit me what had happened and how bad it was yeah that was that was a bad day but um yeah but again it was just after that it was just the little wins and i wouldn't have got through it if if i didn't have all my friends and mm-hmm. my family like somebody was always there every day making me laugh bringing me silly things giving me foot massages you know watching videos yeah it was that long ago on vhs <laughs> <laughs> really in a telly you know what i mean and um and, and i'm just so grateful that i got past it you know yeah but, yeah. yeah so how long were you in hospital after your cardiac arrest because you you also had surgery to fit an internal defibrillator as well didn't you I did yeah so I was in intensive care for two months wow and and then I went when I got better I I moved to the ward for a further month so it was about three three months in hospital in total and yeah, I had to I had to have two operations on my lungs as well to sort of pin them back up, basically. Oh. Yeah. So, um, and then when I moved to the ward, that's when they that's when they did or they did the the defib just before. So when I I couldn't get the defib until I I was strong enough. Basically. Of course. So yeah. yeah. Um, and then I moved to the ward, and then it was all just about putting the weight back on and getting stronger and and uh, being fit enough to actually leave. And and how how long afterwards were you able to leave hospital? So I I went in in the February and then I came out in like the early May or like wow. April time. Wow. Yeah. So once I was on the ward, it was it was a month. It was a month. Yeah. Um, and and tell me about did you have any conversations with like your mum about sort of. What would happen when you came out of hospital and would you be able to go back to college? Mm. What what was your, your sort of main concern running through your head? I think basically, again, everyone was very kind to me, but uh, throughout it was always, yeah, 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 when you go back to lanes, yeah, 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 when you go back to lanes. But I think everyone knew I wasn't going back to lanes and... But I think for me, I think I needed that fantasy of, yeah, 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 of course. Yes, something to hold on to, of mm. course. And, yeah. and it was a reality for me at the time. But yeah. I, I, rem- I do remember that day when I think, I think I did, somebody from Lanes came in to see me, one of the staff, and my mum was there and they were kind of like, you can't come back, like you're not well enough. And, and I remember being like, yeah, it, that, that, was, that was a bit of a blow. Yeah, yeah. Um, hearing it I suppose yeah yeah it it just made it an awful reality I mean how did Mm. you sort of emotionally and psychologically how difficult was it for you to recover especially because you couldn't go back to to college and 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 do the thing you love doing Mm. it was really hard like there's there's no sugarcoating it it Mm -hmm. was awful and like you know at 16 for your life to basically fall apart I had to start again, but it took me a while to realize that I had to start again, like fully. And emotionally, I was a bit of a wreck. 
And I think present me would have gone, hi, Hannah, um, have some counselling. Um, but you would not have got that. I, I remember being given a leaflet and I was like, get that away from me. I don't want that. You know, like I was just that kind of person at the yeah, time. And yeah. Yeah, I used to go back and visit at Lanes when I got strong enough like that next year. I used to go to parties at weekends and see people and hang out. And I'd always end the night hysteric, like a mess. I'd just be on the floor crying or like crying on my friend. And I, and, and I did that for months. And I was like, what are you doing? But that was my friends, that was my life. And then I realised I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to cut it off and like just have a clean slate. And then once I started doing that, I, yeah, it was easier. I got a bit stronger and happier and eventually I found a new path. But there was like six months. Well, there was a long time, but there was a proper six month chunk after hospital where I was maybe a bit in denial, maybe like, you know, desperately trying to cling on to my old world. And and it sounds like a bit like the grieving process. You oh, know, God, you were yeah. kind of grieving for for, for that person. Mm, um, oh God, yeah. yeah, and and I and I think I see her as a different. She is a different person. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, even now, I go, oh, that's a shame. I never got to meet her properly, or I didn't get to see what she would have been like. But I, I know it sounds mad, and obviously, I wish I'd never gotten ill. But I do prefer this route I've ended up on, and I am genuinely really happy. And yes, of course, I'm not as strong as I was, and my body's been through it a bit, but. You know, I think I did bounce back and I did find another track. And I mean, God knows, I'm still in the entertainment business. I'm still in the <laughs> still in the acting world. I don't know how or why, but I'm still here. As a charity, the British Heart Foundation depends on the generosity of donors to continue carrying out our life-saving research. Thank you to all those who already give. It's truly appreciated. If you too would like to donate, you can do so by going to bhf.org.uk slash donate. And now, back to the conversation. Let's get on to, to the positive things. And, you know, you, I mean, we bandied the word inspirational about, but, but you really are because you found a way to pursue your love of theatre. So t- tell me about that journey because you decided then you you would become a classical actress. Yeah, and again, it was kind of an accident. I mean, I always really loved Shakespeare. I mean, I went to theatre school, so obviously I had a lot of resources at my disposal. I was very fortunate in that respect. And I did always love the classics. And, you know, in my head, I was like, ooh, I love this. But, you know, I had to wait a few years to even question if that's what I wanted to do, which is totally fine. And in a way, we probably should have done that. But (laughs) I, um, yeah, and then when I, so I just come out of hospital and it got to like the July, August when I realised, oh, I was all right. I was actually quite healthy and I, I had bounced back. So it was like May, June, July, that kind of time I realised, oh, well, what am I going to do in September? And especially because you, I'd just been in education, you know, September is, being in education is what you do. So when, if you're meant to be in education, you get to September and you go, oh, I, what do I do now? And so my mum and I, well, let's see if we can get you into college. And we tried all the local colleges, but all their A-level places had already gone. And I couldn't get in. And the only courses available were like 
BTEC courses, which I was looking at, but there was nothing I wanted to do. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? Like, I've got nothing to do now. And then we saw this um, ad in, in the stage newspaper uh, and it was like uh, audition for a place on a foundation course aged 17 to 25 or whatever the age group was. And most courses started at 18, but this one was 17 and I was just about to turn 17. And I, me and mum were like, oh, what have you seen? What the? Mum was like, look at this, look at this. And I was <laughs> like, what? She was like, well, this, maybe this, do this. It was just a year course. And uh, I went, all right. So I went along to the audition and... Um, Again, it was no, it was absolutely not. I remember there was a dance call and, and the choreographer was like, anyone got any injuries? And I was like, um, I've not long come out of hospital. And he was like, yeah, okay, what, 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 what did you have done to you in hospital? And I was like, um, I had a cardiac arrest. And everyone looked at me like, what is going on? <laughs> oh. And I was like, but don't worry, I'll be fine. And he, he looked like he'd been slapped. I was like, I'm so sorry, it was quite funny. But, um, and I, I did it, but yeah, and then they ended up getting in there. But again, I was just, in a way, I was just fannying around. I was like, oh, I'm just having fun. And it, But it wasn't until the end of the course when everyone started auditioning for drama school. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And then I was like, nah, I don't think that's for me. But accidentally and amongst me just needing something to do to get my life back on track, I sort of fell in love with it and was like, oh, maybe I do want to go to drama school. Um but yeah, I didn't get in that year and I didn't get in the year after. Um, and it's no surprise because even though I had all these ideas in my head, my life was, you know, I was still a bit of a shell of a human being and I was still finding my feet again in the world. And it took me a couple of years to sort of find my personality again. I know that yeah. sounds mad, but, you know, I was only like, 17, 18, 19, you're so young, aren't you? And then anyway, I ended up, I auditioned for Bristol Old Vic and just fell madly in love with it. And the first year I got shortlisted, but I didn't get in. And then I just had the bug. And after that, I was like, I'm getting into Bristol. That's what I want. (laughs) And thankfully, the year after I, I got in and then ended up going down a classical acting route but yeah, and yeah, that was 10 years ago, so... Amazing. Oh, so it's a d- your 10th anniversary. Yeah, well, more than that, because yeah. I graduated in July. But yeah, 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 yeah this, it, I did my first professional job post-drama school 10 years ago, so yeah. Amazing. And what has that been like, sort of living with your ICD mm. um, and with your condition and sort of working as an actor do you how do you approach it do you sort of tell tell people you're working with that that you know you you're living with this does it affect you in any way it's been a real journey and yeah um it's not always been easy and I'm so grateful for where I am now but when I first graduated I don't know I had some really bad advice where before I went to drama school, I was trying to get an agent and one of the agents said to me, you'll never get insured. No one will insure you. Wow. And it was a horrible pill to sw- swallow, but she she also kind of said to me, you should go to drama school, give yourself some more time. So this was another sort of nudge down that route. And I was like, oh yeah, maybe I should. But basically that sort of, you'll never get, in- no one will insure you, was imprinted on my brain. Yeah. Um, and... You know, 10 years ago, the world was a bit, it was a different place, especially for sort of inclusivity, if that's the right word. You yes. know, 
people didn't disclose, I mean, their physical ailments. You just kind of had to get on with it. Yeah. You know, mental health was never discussed. Like, you know, we've come so long, so such a long way in the last, well, 12, 13 years since I started. But um, it's, so basically when I first graduated, I I went out, bought loads of clothes that covered my scars. Hmm. It was literally like, don't mention the war. And and like I remember, and it, it screwed me over because I went into some some auditions, and they'd be like, "Oh, just tell me about yourself." And I was like, "Well, I finished school, and then I went to Bristol, and it was like that's all I am. I'm not interesting. Nothing happened to me. Don't talk to me about my college years. I can't tell you what happened. I just basically became a bit." boring and a bit I just wasn't me because I was hiding so much of my life yeah like a dirty little secret it was a dirty little secret exactly because if I said oh I went to lanes then people would be like well why did you leave yeah why did you only do six months and and then do you know oh got it and so it just tripped me up so for years I hid it and I was like, no, no, I'm fine. And I proved, you know, and I, and I did loads of physical, because I could still dance and I still do dance in shows. And, I, and you know, it was always be like, I would need to, I don't know. It's like, you don't need to know I've got heart condition because you won't notice I've got heart condition because I'm really strong and I'm fine. And let's not talk about it. But that that's really not healthy way <laughs> to approach things. And the other thing that was really bothering me was basically my ICD battery was due a change just after I graduated and I remember like auditioning for a couple of jobs and I was like if I get this I won't be able to do it because of my box change or I'll have to tell them or you know it was just in my head it was like I can't possibly have both I can't possibly have a heart condition and have a career there's just no way and it's stupid and I went into those auditions going don't get this job don't get this job and I just tripped myself over do you know what I mean and yeah I look back going what a shame because if you were not dealing with all that stupid stuff in your head you might have got a few more jobs because that happened a lot for me at the beginning and yeah it, it, it really did trip me up I think and it did hold me back a few times even though I, I did manage to work and, and it, you know, eventually I would disclose it. And when I got to buildings, I'd be like, I've got a heart condition. You know, when I got into the room, <laughs> when I got jobs, I'd be like, oh, I've got a heart condition. But yeah, it's a real funny one. And how, how is it now, though? Has it improved to the extent that you feel you can be open? Because I know you, I mean, I know we've just had the pandemic when sadly mm. no one in theatre worked. But you, you seem to be working steadily yeah I don't I don't yeah don't know how but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah um now I'm in a much better place and th- th- there were a couple of things that happened to me so the first one is that I ended up working for a, a theatre quite regularly which I again I was very fortunate to do it was a lovely th- it's, it's still there and I I you know I hope to work with them again and um there was one particular show where I was dancing and there was just one number where I was struggling to keep up. And my the way I was, I couldn't say, I don't think I was able to say what I needed. And we got to a point where I, I got quite upset. And then I, um, I just said to them, they were like, what do you need, Hannah? And I was like, I can't tell you. Like, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't tell you. And as soon as I said to them, I, I don't think I can, I think this number, can, can it be a bit shorter? And they were like, of course it can. Like, you of course it can like anything you need um and they they adapted to 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 help me make my journey possible yeah and that was the first time 
I realised I could just do that. And it was a real turning point for me in my journey, my relationship with my heart condition, but also I was so grateful for that team to allow me to be myself and be like, Hannah, we want to help you and that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't do your job. It's just that let's make a few adjustments. And I think I hadn't felt like I, not from any, not even from anybody telling me that they wouldn't help me. It was just, I didn't think like I could ask for stuff I needed, which is crazy. And then after that, I felt a lot more confident to go, maybe I need this or maybe I need a little rest or like, do you know what I mean? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a shame it took so long for that to happen, but Mm. you know, it, it's amazing that it has. Yeah. It's, it's insane. And I'm really pleased. And nowadays, like I go into auditions very much with my scar out. Well, cause, cause I've got a new scar now. Cause well, cause five years ago I had another bypass, which again was a whole other journey with my relationship with my heart condition and my body image and stuff. But, um, I feel weird covering my scars up now in auditions. Cause I'm like, this is what I look like. And it's part of you. I mean, Mm. without sounding corny, that's who you are. (laughs) Like a hundred percent. And I didn't, I just didn't feel like I could do, I could a hundred percent be myself in the industry because I wasn't perfect. And I think sometimes certainly 10 years ago, I felt, and God, I mean, certainly before 10 years ago, I, I think there was, and sometimes there still is in, in in our industry, is this assumption that you have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that means, it means nothing. But like, I think I put that pressure on myself. Yeah. And now I feel really, really passionate about actually not covering up my scars, not, and I want people to see my scars. I want that because I because if I went to the theatre and I saw an actress or an actor with with a scar that that looked like me or that something that I felt I could relate to it would make me feel so just so incredible and you don't see it very often I, I don't see me reflected very often in the media so no, yeah, I mean I really... that's the thing I was going to say I mean you know if there's another little boy or little girl out there who mm. go, who sees you and thinks that it's possible as you say, it's all about being relatable, isn't it? And seeing mm. someone who looks like you. So I, I was going to ask you, what advice, you know, having been through the amazing journey you've been through, what advice would you give to, you know, other young people, you know, teenagers who have discovered that they've got a heart condition and are sort of at that point where they're deciding, you know, what they want to do as, as a career or just in their life I think what I would say is just it doesn't mean that your life is over your life isn't over just because you've got a heart condition or just because you've got a new diagnosis of something that that feels like it's going to hinder you it things might change slightly but you can always find a way around stuff and you can always adjust little tiny things to sort of do what you need to do. And I just feel like if, I can't imagine what it must be like to get a diagnosis sort of thrust upon you, but it it might be difficult for a bit, but it will be okay. <laughs> and and can, that's perfect advice. And, and can I just ask you, how is life 
for you now, like with your ICD, I mean, thankfully, I don't think it's it's ever gone off. But do you worry about, you know, it happening again, that you have another cardiac arrest? Or is it something that you just try and put to the back of your mind and, and get on with your life? Yeah, I've uh, ha- the ICD basically gives me a whole load of freedom and security security and it makes me I feel very protected with it and I feel like it's enabled me to just carry on without fear in a sense because I feel like if you know if anything does happen it will help me (laughs) you know it will kick in and again I know I'm very fortunate because I know quite a few young people with with defibs and and there's you know go off or you know you know pr- present themselves more than mine does but um but basically whenever they're icd so the these the young people that have a, a, a defib and if they they are more unfortunate than me that it goes off more every time it does everyone realizes that that's 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 another chance that's like well you yeah. didn't have an arrest like because your your defib did its job i do feel comforted by that and I, I just feel like, God, thank God for it. Because I think if I didn't have this, I think maybe I would have been a lot more anxious. It's an incredible thing and I'm so grateful to have it. And as we as, as we sort of come to a close, can I mm. just ask you, I know your family have been an incredible support to you and I know you wanted to say something at, about them. So, I, I mean, what would you like to say to your mum? And, oh and your God. God, I'm going to get upset now. Sorry. <laughs> no, Sorry. no, it's fine. I mean, I, I just wouldn't have got through any of any of it without them. And my nan and granddad no longer with us, but like just so supportive and always there and just the most incredible grandparents could have asked for, especially with a single parent family, you know, just integral to our, to our little world. And my mom, my God, I mean she's dropped everything for me so many times she's made so many sacrifices for me and I am eternally grateful for everything she's done for me and the love that she's shown me and also and just growing up with a heart condition turning all the hardship all the you know the difficult hospital stays and procedures into an adventure and teaching me to laugh in the face of adversity, you know, just like, this is rubbish, but we can still have a laugh. Um, it just, it's, I think it's just transformed my attitude and my relationship with having a long-term health condition is that it's always, it was always an adventure. Yeah. And it was always, there was always uh, food at the end, and a yeah. cafe visit or like, you know, a, a go on the rocking horse. And it was just... Yeah. yeah, I'm so grateful for soft, them softening the blow and, and supporting me, yeah. Um, I apologise for making you emotional, but that was, no, that was lovely. I'm sure your mum will be really, really grateful and I'd mm. love to hear that. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for sharing your amazing journey with us and good luck with future productions and I look forward thank to you. seeing you on the stage myself. Thank you, yeah. I'll invite you along, of course. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Ruth. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 
330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website bhf.org.uk. And if you've got your own heart story or have any thoughts on this episode, please get in touch with us by emailing theTickerTapes at bhf.org.uk. See you next time on The Ticker Tapes.